Well, good morning. This is the first time um, I've been preaching at this new pulpit. Yes, and it's very bright here. You know, it's, a, it's an honor and privilege for me to be here. Um, I'm excited to be able to bring uh, you God's word this morning. And um, this morning I'm gonna be teaching out of John chapter 12. And it is my hope that uh, through this passage that you're gonna be affirmed, that we will be affirmed and strengthened to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength in every season of our lives. And it is my prayer especially that in the seasons of hardship and in sorrow and in loneliness and just in affliction that you would give your whole heart to the Lord, that you would trust him, that, that you would know that he is with you. He will never fail you, he'll never forsake you. And so let's come before the Lord in prayer, okay? And ask him just to bless this time. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we trust that when we placed our faith in your son, Jesus Christ, that God, you forgave us. You forgave us completely. Of everything we have ever done and all that we are, you saw it all and you see it now all today. And your son pays for it, he forgives us. And now, Father, you welcome us into a relationship with you. You welcome us to speak to you each day, to talk to you, to listen to you, to come to your words, to try to understand your Bible, and by your spirit, you use very common things, the written word, and by your spirit, you speak to us. And Lord, we learn of you. And so I pray that this morning, that just might continue. Lord, we love you. I wanna pray especially for those, Lord, who are caring, for others who are weakening, and I ask that you would strengthen them. You would come alongside them. You would encourage them. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, in your name I pray, amen. Well, we are in the Gospel of John, and we're gonna start in uh, chapter 12. And we just returned to the series, and the series is called The Road to the Cross. And the reason why it's the road to the cross is because we are in a point of, in the Gospel of John where it is the last week of Jesus' life. The hour has come that Jesus has spoken about throughout the Gospel of John. The hour has come and this is the hour. This is the week. And so starting in chapter 12 all the way to the end covers the last week of Jesus' life. 
And when you look at all the Gospels, okay, a third of them all focus on this last week. Now in chapter 11, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And this is like an incredible miracle, right? He's dead four days. As Pastor Rocky said, he stinketh, right? He is rotting and Jesus comes Martha and Mary are mourning, people are crying. Jesus is weeping at the death of his good friend. He sees the effects of sin and he raises Lazarus from the dead, right? And you would think, and it does happen, that people are like, oh my goodness. And tons of people come to faith. And yet the thing that we don't expect is that as opposition, they don't sit there and think, man, who raises someone from the dead? This guy must be incredible. This might maybe is God. They don't think that. What happens is that they actually become threatened, more threatened by him. They see his popularity and they see people moving toward him. And so in the end of chapter 11, the Sanhedrin council get together and the high priest Caiaphas resolves with the council to put Jesus to death. In John chapter 11, verse 54, it says, Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, that he gets out of the city of Bethany and he moves to a more secluded city at the edges of the, um, kind of more like the countryside of Jerusalem. But in chapter 12, he comes back and he heads back into Bethany. And this time, he's not backing down. He fully knows that the opposition is set out to kill him. He knows that, it's no secret to him. His disciples know it, the people know it. Word is out that if anybody knows where he is, to let them know they will arrest him, for they desire to kill him. Right? And so the hour has come. And so that's where chapter 12 starts. Jesus coming back to Bethany, and his time has come. He's going head to head with the opposition. But before that happens, there's a meal. And this meal happens on Saturday night. Sunday is the day, Sunday that we usually, uh, that we celebrate now as Palm Sunday when Jesus comes triumphantly into Jerusalem, well, this meal takes place on Saturday night, okay? Now, if you guys love to watch movies, there's always like that calm scene before, like the ultimate battle. Like maybe it's a Western, and they've, and like the bad guys are coming, and they've set up the city, and they're like all ready, and the night before that big day happens, right? They're like usually, I don't know, eating, they're in the bar drinking, talking, and they're getting ready for this, what's gonna happen the next day. Well, this is a similar situation. Tensions are high, but now they're together and they're gonna have a meal in honor of Jesus. And so, please stand. I'm going to read out of John chapter 12. All right, and I'm gonna read verses one through eight. I'm gonna stop at eight. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, 
where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charged the money bag, he used to help himself to what was being put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. You may be seated. Thank you. There are two parallel accounts in the other Gospels that, re, that tell this same event, and they're found in Matthew 26 and in Mark 14. Okay? Matthew 26 and in Mark 14. But in these parallel, parallel accounts, they do not say who the woman is. John, he identifies who it is. It's Mary and Martha and Lazarus. It's Mary, the sister of Martha and the sister of Lazarus who was raised from the dead. But in Matthew and Mark, they do not describe that. But what they do say is that this dinner was hosted in the house of Simon the leper. Okay, that's all they say. And so because they say that, they think that Simon the leper might have been the father of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. But they don't know, they're only guessing. Now I kind of wonder, you know, why identify this guy as Simon the leper, right? Um, it's definitely not to shame him. That's Simon the leper, right? He's most likely been healed, and his name is probably a reminder. I bet you Jesus has healed him. It's probably a reminder of God's mercy and power that was demonstrated in his life. Right? So this dinner is happening at his house. Mary and Martha and Lazarus are present. Martha is serving as she was in Luke chapter 10, the very first time we hear of Mary and Martha, and I'll refer to that later. Martha is serving, and Lazarus is reclining at the table. Now, if you're reclining at the table at a dinner such as this, you're one of the honored guests. And so again, what's most likely happening is that they're honoring Jesus, and they're remembering Lazarus being raised from the dead. He has come back to life. And so who knows what they're talking about. Maybe they're just talking about what happened that day. People who just were like shocked. Others who maybe couldn't speak. Lazarus, I don't know. I have like a, 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 a comical mind and so I just think of things that happened but I won't be comical here. Um, but sometime during this dinner, right, Mary takes an alabaster flask. Now it says this in Matthew and in Mark 
that she has some ointment that's in an alabaster flask. Now John only points out the amount of oil that's in this flask. He says it's about a pound. And if you look at the notes on your Bible, there's a le- usually a little thing there. It says it's about 11 and a half ounces, about, a, about the same amount as a can of Coke. And um, do I have a picture of the alabaster flask? Yes, there it is, all right. I amazingly gave all of my slides to Laura Kakihara before Sunday morning. That's this morning, right? I did that. So there's a picture there. That's, an alab- that's just, a, just to give you an idea of what an alabaster flask might look like. It doesn't say that in John, it just says the amount. Okay. And what happens, now it's, and it also says that it's an ointment. Now when I think of an ointment, I think of Neosporin, right? <laughs> Neosporin's an ointment. Well, if Neosporin were in that alabaster flask, nothing would be coming out, all right? It's more like a viscous oil, okay? It's like, it, it, it's a, it's like an oil, right? And it's a very aromatic oil, and because I am an expert in oils. I know that it is from, made from the roots of a nard plant from the mountains of India. For those of you who don't know me, I am joking right now, all right? <laughs> I, 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 but it is, but it's found on a nard plant from the mountains of India. And so it was not locally produced, had to be shipped in, okay? It was very rare, and it was extremely costly. Now, what Mary does with this oil, this very expensive oil, is not out of the ordinary. It's in total accordance with the cultural values of the day or the cultural customs of the day. Anointing oneself with aromatic oil for a special occasion or anointing a guest at an occasion like this dinner for Jesus, all right, is totally normal and appropriate. That's something that you would do, all right? It's, it's, it's as common as, remember when we had the luncheon for Pastor Corey and Pastor Rain to honor them, what did we do? We put a lei around them. Do you remember that? They wore a lei. It was like a, a sign of just honor. To anoint someone was just like that. It was very common. But also in Jewish theocracy, there was also the practice of formally anointing someone, inaugurating a person into a particular role, and specifically as a prophet like Elisha, or a priest like Aaron the priest, all right, or the kings like Saul, David, and Solomon. They were all anointed, officially anointed. Okay. Now in John's account, he only focuses on Mary anointing Jesus' feet. Right? But in Matthew and Mark, They focus solely on Mary anointing Jesus' head. And so you see this difference. In Matthew chapter uh, 26, verse 7, in Matthew's account, it says, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. Now again, John says he anointed feet, his feet, And so when you read these accounts, it's like, you know, is there a contradiction here? And most likely, there's not a contradiction. Most likely, they're just emphasizing different aspects of the same event. Again, the, the parallel events, take some time, you can look at them, but it's Matthew 26 and Mark 14, 
in John 12. In Mark, it says that she actually breaks the alabaster flask. She breaks it. Maybe that's how you opened an alabaster flask back then. I do not know. She breaks it. And the implication in Mark's, and actually in all all the uh, accounts, is that as she breaks it, it, it pours out. It's pouring out. And so... Uh, what is very possible, and John says, right, there's about uh, the 11 and a half ounces of this in the alabaster flask. As she begins to anoint Jesus' head, putting 11 and a half ounces is quite a bit, right? And so if she's putting it on his head, right, shh, <laughs> 11 and a half ounces is a lot. So most likely she anoints his head and she comes down and she anoints his feet, And then it says that she's pretty much focused on Jesus. She lets down her hair, which again, in that culture was a very immodest thing to do. Women did not do that. And she wipes his feet. Why does John focus on the feet and not the the common anointing of the head, right? Because Jesus does become our prophet, our priest, and our king. But why the feet? I can only think that in, in John 13, right, Jesus is going to do a similar act. He's going to actually take off his garments. It says his robe, his outer, and his tunic. So in other words, now this is news. This might be news for you. He takes everything off, and he puts a cloth around him. He takes the total form of a servant, a menial servant, and he washes the feet of his disciples. And so maybe John points this out because, again, it emphasizes the same spirit of humility and love that Jesus would demonstrate to his disciples. It could also be a prophetic, uh, again, just fulfilling of Isaiah 52, 7, which is speaking of the Messiah, and it says, how beautiful are the feet of the of um, him who brings good news. And then he goes on in chapter 52 to just talk about how the Messiah is going to come into Zion, into Jerusalem, and rule and bring salvation. So he focuses on that. Anyway, okay, I just talk about this anointing because I want you to know that it was totally normal. What she's doing at that time is not what Judas is shocked at. What Judas is upset about, the issue he has with Mary, is that she gave way too much. She sacrificed more than what was necessary in order to anoint Jesus. That is Jesus, that is his issue. He says that the oil is worth 300 denarii. And you've probably heard it many times that a denarii, it's a silver coin, made mostly of silver, and at that time, it was worth the payment of one day's wages to an unskilled worker. Now, the point, the the reason why John says this is not for us to try to figure out, well, how much is that in today's currency, right? Because it probably wouldn't be that much. But for Mary and the disciples, 300 denarii, if, one, if it's worth one day's wages, right, 300 denarii, if you take into account not working on the Sabbath, 
It's like one, one day's wages. Did I just say one year's wages? One day's wages, if you 300, that's like one year's wages. So to them, so what, what, what Judas uh, sees is he sees a wasting of one year's salary. And so you have to think to yourself, okay, what is my salary? And you have to understand, this is what Judas is seeing. This is, if you make $60,000 a year, right, it would be like you taking something worth $16,000 and anointing or, or giving it to someone, blessing them with that. That would be crazy. Like if I went to uh, my daughter's graduation, not my daughter's graduation, if I went to my daughter's friend's graduation and we were there and I made a money lay, which I have never done in my life, but if I made a money lay for them and I went to my daughter's friend's graduation and my daughters were all around me and I said, oh, you know, Jordan, Jordan Mar, hey, congratulations, I put the money lay on her, right? And my kids are looking at that, oh, wow, dad's never made money lay before. And they're looking at that, and they're looking, and they, they see the numbers, and it's like, well, that's not a dollar bill. That's a 10. Wait, wait, that's like 100. Wait, wait, wait. Like, that's a $1,000. That's a dollar. How many? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There's like 20 on there. That's like $20,000. She never gave that to, that's not worth it, right? That's what's happening here, okay? That's kind of what's happening. It's like, what did you just do? What did you just do, right? But you know, it's not just Judas. If you look at Matthew 26, this account, Matthew 26, 8, it says, and when the disciples saw it, not just Jews, when the disciples saw it, it says they were indignant. They were angry. Not just like surprised, like what are you doing? No, they were mad. They said, what a waste. What a waste. What are you doing? In Mark 14, verses four and five, it says this, it says there were some, some not all, Maybe John, you know, he's like, hey, I wasn't part of that. (laughs) So there were some, Mark says, uh, who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? But then Mark adds this, and they scolded her. And they scolded her. Here's Mary. Polly anointing and thanking and praising the one who raised her brother from the dead. And she is so grateful. And she is overcome. And she's giving the Lord of the world, right? The savior of the nations, the creator God. She's giving him her best. And those around her, what are you doing? What a waste. What a waste. You know, you have to ask yourself, why are they so angry? And it's simply this. They're angry because they think something has been done that's wrong. And what has been wrong, what what is the wrong that they are witnessing? Right? 
They're seeing money being wasted. They're seeing money being wasted. Now, if you know me, my wife knows me, probably one of the bigger struggles in my life has been generosity. Now, I, I share this, and I don't want you to feel bad if I'm generous with you, because God has done a huge work in my life. But I remember as like a younger father, my kids wanting to be more generous, right? And I would get angry, like inside. Not like I'd show it on the outside, right? But I'd be, in, I'd be irritated, and why? You're wasting money, you don't give that much. So pitiful, huh? God has done a great work in my heart. And I, but I, as I say that, some of you out there, some of you, the waste of money is what gets you most mad. That's what gets you most angry. Right? And God wants to do a work in your heart because he says that you cannot serve God and riches. They promise the same thing, right? Riches promise you what? Security, opportunity, and hope. That's what riches promise you. But they will fail you. God promises the same thing. Right? Hope, opportunity, security. He is the Lord of the world. He will accomplish that. He is worthy. But they're upset because money is wasted. The pure nard oil could have been sold for thousands and given to the poor but now it's been wasted and poured on Jesus. <laughs> it's ridiculous. See, when Jesus is not your greatest love, when he is not your greatest treasure, then using your doctorate degree to go into China and to bring his gospel to people who have never heard and might never hear again, well, you know what? That's a waste. If Jesus is not your greatest love, if you do not realize that his forgiveness for you is abounding, and it's never ending, and each time you fail him, and you look up, he is open, his arms are open wide, and he receives you because of Jesus Christ, because of his death and his suffering for you. And he embraces you. When you do not see that and treasure it, then forgiving a sister or a sibling who has offended you or a spouse who has betrayed you or a coworker who has demeaned you, that is just not worth it, right? When Jesus is not your honored king, then sacrificing and investing in those who cannot give you something in return is a waste of time. The only time you waste something on Jesus is when your love for something or someone is more than your love for him. The disciples, and especially Judas, cannot be more wrong in their assessment and judgment of what just took place before them, right? What they saw was that what they saw was disgusting and wasteful. But what Jesus witnessed 
was wonderfully beautiful. It was beautiful. You know, John only records that Jesus said, leave her alone. That's all, he, that's all that he records. But again, in the parallel accounts, he actually speaks what he thinks about what Mary did. And in Mark 14, it says this. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing for me. She has done the most excellent, the most wonderful, the most beautiful thing anyone could do for me. When we say something is beautiful, it is in the right proportion. When you look at it, right, it's like that is perfect, that is so fitting. Like when you see a bride in her gown and she's beaming, you're like, that, you're perfect. You're beautiful. Jesus saw Mary's gift and anointing as wonderfully, and be- wonderfully beautiful. Right? She had just anointed the Son of God who was preparing himself to be brutally humiliated and crucified so that not only the poor in finances could know him, but the poor in spirit, the corrupt, the broken, the lost. He was going to the cross. The maker of the whole world was giving up his life for her and to anoint him with perfume, with a year's worth of wages, was so appropriate. Amen? Amen. As she poured that upon him, that that was the exact thing that ought to have happened at that moment. The disciples ought to have been, should have been weeping, thanking him. You are God. I don't know exactly what's happening. You're saying that you're going to the you're going to Jerusalem. You're going to die, but we know you love us. This is the most appropriate thing that should have happened. And so I just want to say this. I just want to say to those of you who treasure Christ above all, and you are giving all of your talents, and you have sacrificed greatly. And maybe your family does not understand that. And they see it as a waste. And maybe even friends, maybe even Christian friends, see it as a waste. I want you to know that Jesus says it's beautiful. It's the most appropriate thing you could do with your life here on earth. It's suspended completely on me and my purposes. For my purposes are eternal. When you breathe your last breath and you open your eyes and you see me, all that I have said will be true. And to give yourself everything to me is the most beautiful and righteous thing to do. Amen? That is why we come to church. That is why we are here. We love him. He is the Lord. 
He's our God. He has saved us. Many Bible commentators do not believe that Mary, as she anointed Jesus, knew what she was doing, that she, that she was preparing him for his death. They just believe that she simply loved and honored Jesus with all of her heart, soul, and mind. She loved him, and in loving him with all of her heart, soul, and mind, she ended up doing the very thing that was needed at that moment. I'm not sure if Mary did know or not, but this is what Jesus says about her in Matthew 26, 12. Okay. Parallel account, he says this. In pouring this ointment on my body, as he explains why it's so beautiful and so appropriate, in pouring this ointment on my body, my head, my feet, my body, all of me, she has done it to prepare me for burial. And so you could say, well, maybe she didn't know, but Jesus says she's done it to prepare me for burial. And Mary, I guess, could have been sitting there thinking, oh, really, I did that by that? <laughs> maybe. Or she could have been saying, yes, you've been talking about your death. He had. He had been preparing the disciples that he was going to suffer, die, and yet rise on the third day. And so she did, you know, she knew. She was thinking, she was feeling, she was looking at the moment. She was giving her all to Jesus and in doing that, she comes in perfect alignment with his will. Amen? You know, I don't, in my life, it's like I don't have a plan for my life, okay? You might go, oh my gosh, that's so sad. I, 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 don't know, I do not know where it's going. But I do know this, and it's such a cliche, right, where he says, I don't know the future, but I know who holds the future, right? But it is so true. And all I know is that I want the purposes of God's will in my life to be completed. God, I'm sorry I'm so crying so much today. I want it to be completed. Do you want that? Yes. For we know that when we do his will, it's eternal. It lasts. It's meaningful. He's behind it. And the one way in which we do that is that we give him our all. Just as, just as David Caspier said in the children's message, we give him our all, our very, very best. We lay it down. And in doing so, we trust him. We will come in line with his will. You know why? I'm gonna close with this. Why? why is it Mary who sees this and not the other disciples? When you read the Gospels, Mary comes in contact with Jesus in the latter half of his ministry. The disciples have been with him for all, the whole time, two and a half years. Why, why don't the disciples see what's happening? They've probably heard Jesus teach way, way more than Mary has. They've probably seen more miracles than Mary has. 
I mean, raising Lazarus from the dead is a pretty huge one, and that, yes, it is his brother, but they've seen also way more. They've seen him walk on water. They've seen him say, be still on a stormy lake, and it just goes flat and still. They've seen a lot. Why is it Mary, the only one who sees? Well, the first time we are introduced to Mary is in Luke 10, and we're so familiar with this passage, I believe many of us. There's been books written about it, but this is where Martha, it's the story of Martha and Mary, right? Where Martha invites Jesus into his home in Bethany, the same city, and she's busy getting everything ready. She's cooking, she's cleaning, she's getting the table ready. She's very busy, and she looks over, and what's Mary doing? She's sitting on her rear end doing nothing, right? What's going on here? And so she goes up to Jesus. Jesus? You know, she's probably very polite, but a little bit tense. Jesus? There's a lot to do around here? Maybe talking through her teeth like this? There's a lot to do around here? And Mary is sitting there doing nothing. Can you tell her to help me? This is really irritating me, right? Or however it is. And then Luke... 1039, right? It says, and she had a sister Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. She was listening to Jesus. She was attentive to him. She was doing the very thing that Christ went to the cross for you and I to do. To be able to come into relationship with Jesus not through, a, not through a, a mediator, not through any other way, but to personally come to him, to know him, to be able to pick up his words and read his psalms. And as we begin to read and understand his psalms, to have his word come speak directly to me in my situation, to even how I'm feeling. Can you guys relate to that, amen? I know some of you have read it and you're like, oh my God. He's come to commune with us, to answer prayers like none other. For me to talk to him and to pray to him and to see him answer so specifically that it is him. It is not a coincidence. Jesus is at the feet of Jesus listening. Now, Rocky shared with this with me, and I don't know maybe if it was in a sermon I listened to his or if we were just talking, but he says that every time that Mary of Bethany, okay, this is Mary of Bethany. There's very many Marys in the Bible, all right? But I want you to know that this Mary of Bethany was not at the crucifixion. She's not Mary Magdalene. The only time she's mentioned is here, I mean in Luke chapter 10, and then the raising of Lazarus, and now here. But in the three times she's mentioned in Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter, uh, John 11, and in 12, each time it says that she's at the feet of Jesus. She's communing with him. In 10, Luke chapter 10, it's simply at a meal. She's listening to him. That would be like at home, just Nothing's happening. I'm just reading the word. Life is good. In John chapter 11, it's at the death of her brother. And she's weeping. She's confused. 
She's saying, Jesus, if you were here, my brother would not have died. And yet in this season of her life, she's still at the feet of Jesus. She's communing with him. And then here, in total gratitude and praise and worship, she's at the feet of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, the call that I hear God calling to us through this passage is to come to him, to commune with him, to know him, to love him. He is with you. He will not leave you in any season of your life. And as you give him your all, he will protect you. He will defend you. And I promise you will hear him say, uh, what you're doing and the life you're living is beautiful. It is beautiful. Thank you. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. I ask that we would come to know you and commune with you in such a way, Father, that it justifies and it accomplishes the whole reason why you left your glory, took on the form of a servant, suffered and died on our behalf so that we would walk with you and know you and that we would give our all to you. So we thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.